0: Welcome to The Definitive Wrap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Wrap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Ellen Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are. The Definitive Rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebrow, and thank you for tuning in to the Definitive Rap Podcast. And thank you, Vin News, for posting our shows. This week's sponsor is all from Teaneck, New Jersey, your online store for products imported from the Shook. Use TDR in the promo code for an extra bonus on your purchases. There's a saying in politics, when something doesn't make sense or look right, follow the money. In movies, if you want excitement, we think of James Bond or Fauda. Today's guest is the James Bond and Fauda of the courtroom. Nitsana Darshan Leitner is the CEO of the Shurat Hadin Law Center, who follows the money and sues governments who finance terrorism against Israelis and Jews and banks who launder money for terrorist groups. On their website, their motto is, bankrupting terrorism, one lawsuit at a time. We undertake civil actions against Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, Egypt, North Korea, UBS, and the Lebanese Canadian Bank. The cases being tried in Israeli, American, Canadian, and European jurisdictions allow the victims of terrorism to fight back. Shurad Hadin has won billions of dollars in judgments against these groups. In her fantastic book titled Harpoon, Inside the Covert War Against Terrorism's Money Masters, Nitsana gives vivid details about how the Mossad, led by Mayor Dagan, were able to trace the funds used by terror groups like Hezbollah and the brilliant executions of these operations. Today, we will discuss these and other major cases taken on by Shurad Hadin. Bela?
1: Thank you, Alan. Today's guest represents an organization that follows the verse in the Torah, tzedek tzedek terdov l'man t'echyeh. Justice, justice shall you pursue, so that you may live. Shurat Hadin goes on the legal offensive against Israel's enemies, and it's with tremendous wisdom that they accomplish their missions. But not with guns and knives and, and bombs, no. They cut off the source of their supply of money. And how did they do that? They sue them. In recent news, anti-Israel rapper Tamar Nafar, who spread anti-Israel messages, including comparing Israel to Nazis, was removed from government campaign after Shurat Hadin went to task demanding that he be removed on the basis that he is committing a civil injustice. And even more recent, it was Shurat Hadin Israeli law center that got a court order for Hamas to compensate families of three murdered teens. There is no end to what Shurat Hadin will do, as their slogan is bankrupting terrorism one lawsuit at a time. And with us today to talk about their successful cases is a heroic, courageous professional, Nitzana Darshan Leitner, the CEO of the Shurat Hadin Law Center. She's an Israeli attorney, human rights activist, and the founder of Shura Tadin Israeli Law Center. Nitzana has represented hundreds of terror victims and recovered more than $200 million in compensation on their behalf, among her many other accomplishments. Nitzana, it gives me great honor to welcome you to the definitive wrap.
2: Well, thank you, Bella. It's my pleasure, honor to be on your show. Okay.
1: Nitzana, Please and share Alan, with our so, audience yeah, how okay. Shurat Hadin was started. We want to know how this organization is so successful being tough, but diplomatic. I love that.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, it's a nonviolent way to fight terrorism. This is how I uh, recognize it. Shurat Hadin was established in the beginning of Antipana. We actually started as private lawyers. And um, just finishing up law school and we realized that there is a way to fight terrorism by going after their pocketbooks, after their terror organizations, after their assets, yeah, hit them after their the money. That's it. <laughs> right? Because in the end, money is oxygen to everything, including terrorism. And if we chalk off the flow of the money, we can chalk off the flow of the terrorism. We started filing lawsuits against Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Authority against Iran and Syria in the United States. And then we were approached by a secret unit in the Mossad called Harpoon. This is a unit that combines with all representatives of all the security services and intelligence services in Israel, but they have one goal to fight terror financing. It was headed by Mayor Dagan, the legendary head of the Mossad. And um, they saw the same thing that we saw go after the money, kill the money. Their name was Harpoon. Uh, it was a secret unit until we wrote a book about it. And uh, they approached us and say, maybe we can collaborate, we can work together, They will give us evidence to go after banks to provide financial services to organizations. And uh, we agreed. We established Shurat Hadin, a non-for-profit organization to manage all these hundreds of cases in an orderly manner in the courts around the
0: world. Okay, so Nitsana, I wrote down my questions for you for today, and I'm going to begin with Harpoon because you mentioned it. It is a fantastic book. It is, again, it's James Bond and Fowda, but it's real. So I'm going to just mention two points from the book that stuck with me, and you can either expand on it or, you know, add anything you like. First, it was Operation Green Lantern, and this was the height of Chutzpah, by Good Chutzpah, where... Israel's Secret Service and all their elite agencies went into Ramallah. They cordoned off a bank. They raided the bank. They took out all of their computers and the Bush administration went nuts. I mean, this was yeah. m- magnificent. And then right. my favorite story that I couldn't, I loved, I was laughing. Uh, you yeah. referred to a... They said, uh, uh,
2: they
0: I'm sorry, go They, ahead. Said,
2: they said to Ariel, President Bush, told yeah. Ariel Sharon that no democratic state goes and rob a bank.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was beautiful operation, um, yeah. and you know Bush got over it. But my favorite story is the one about Salah Ezzedin. Uh, he was a Shiite Muslim from Lebanon. Bela, this is a great story. He was a very well-to-do investor. He was very close to Hezbollah, and everybody wanted to invest with him. You know, if he's living rich, why shouldn't we? So uh, the way they do it in the Middle East is uh, they travel to the Gulf states, Abu Dhabi, Dubai. And they meet up with other investors and an Israeli unit hooked up with him and said, you know, we're investors, we can make you a lot of money. So this Muslim supporter of Hezbollah would invest money with this new investment firm and he would get supporters of Hezbollah to invest with him. And then soon other Arabs in Lebanon, other Shiites would invest with him and they would get returns of 40, 50, 60 percent. And then one day, poof the investment firm disappeared, and they realized that they were set up. So, Nitsana, I don't know if you want to talk about this in more detail. I don't know if you can, but this is one of my favorite parts of your book.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that surprises us as well. Uh, we had the front seat watching the operations of Harpoon, and uh, although we enjoyed the fruits of Green Lantern operation. Uh, all the documentations that the Harpoon grabbed from the uh, rob in the bank and raiding the bank fell into our hands, and we used it in legal proceedings against banks that uh, help and enable uh, terrorism. Um, we saw how they did the same thing with uh, with the Lebanese Mado. Uh, that's the yeah. guy in Lebanon. Uh, they just simply tricked him and uh, and got into uh, invest with him and made the money disappear. The same story was uh, with Yasser Arafat when they um, created, a, again, a fake investment fund and convinced Muhammad Rashid, who was the financial advisor of, uh, of Yasser Arafat, to go and uh, and just know the new investing uh, investment fund. Uh, they actually rented buildings and, uh, and furnitures and uh, hired beautiful secretaries and made a whole show um Great operation from Mossad. Eventually, Muhammad Rashid agreed, invested all the money, and after a couple of months, lost it somewhere in the air. This is the uh, brilliance of, uh, of uh, Mayor Dagan in his step. He uh, chose the right people to go and, and brainstorm and to come up with these ideas. The, uh, Mayor Dagan, although he had uh, he was a big hero. Um, and he had a dagger between his teeth. This is how it described by Ariel Sharon, the prime minister, hated wars. He wow. could not have people uh, die in the wars. He could not have his soldiers die in the war. And he was thinking creatively, what would be a nonviolent way to fight terrorism? And this is what he came up with, harpoon.
1: Nitzana? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that many of the cases um, are heard in U.S. courtrooms, either because victims of Palestinian shootings and bombings uh, are Americans and, um, you know, uh, then with regards to the, the attacks or, or Hezbollah rockets, um, and many of them do hold American citizenship. But my question is, um, a lot of these terrorists do have uh, militant funds in the United States. And you target those, those, those militant funds. So, in your book, Harpoon, you describe how those bank accounts are targeted. So, my question is I'm very curious um, where do you get your tip offs about their finances? Like, how, how, how do you know that? Like, where do you find out? No, yeah. uh, I just told you question. my I've secret. I've always been wondering about that.
2: I told you my secret. Uh, it started with Harpoon. They, uh, as a Mossad a unit or as a intelligence unit that target terror financing, they went themselves and realized that millions and millions of dollars are making their way from Europe, from United States, into the hands of the Palestinian organizations and they track track the money. Uh, their slogan was follow the money, target the money, yeah. kill the money. They had the information. And they found ways uh, to whitewash this evidence, this information, and let us use it in court. Sometimes it was simply documents that they target. Sometimes it was testimonials of uh, Mossad agents that uh, literally went to the banks, warned them before uh, that they, they are uh, helping, adding in the organizations, uh, and even told them, You know, that in the end, they might find themselves in court being sued by terror victims. Um, Sometimes this warning put an end to the uh, accounts that this bank held. Sometimes they did not, and the bank found themselves in the bench, in court, being sued by terror victims victims for hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Okay. Nitsana, I want to bring up uh, a recent case, Ben and Jerry's. Um, It was very big news here. And then it kind of faded away. Uh, There are boycotts. Um, And then you said, you know what? If you're going to boycott Israel, then we're just going to go after your trademark. Now, there's something else I want to bring up. Uh, I don't know if you saw this because it just went viral. Ben and Jerry just sat down for an interview and uh, they were asked, "Okay, so you're boycotting parts of Israel and you're a proud Jew, blah, blah, blah. Um, But you're doing this out of principle. So let me ask you, the interviewer says, uh, if you're acting on principle, then why are you selling to Texas and Georgia where, um, you know, they're anti-abortion, they're pro-voting, and they just sat there like a couple of idiots. Now, here is my question. In Israel, you have Palestinian media watch, Itamar Marcus, who has everything. I would, and and I was going to do this, I just didn't do it. I would love to tell, uh, go to Unilever and say, okay, you're principled people. Here is everything that we have in the Palestinian Authority. They have said they consider all of Israel occupied Palestine, but you support them. We have thousands of videos of children in kindergarten singing about the gloriousness of becoming martyrs. This is who you're and there's a whole list and not once because Itamar always says when he goes to Europe or he goes to the U.S. Congress and he shows them the information, they're all, you know, aghast. Why is this information never used? to confront people like them or Unilever. Unilever would be more embarrassed. Ben and Jerry's, they're probably, they have no shame because they're always smoking pot. But certainly against a company like Unilever, this would right. certainly shame them.
2: Right. So we put this information in front of Unilever. We told them about this hypocrisy. We emphasized that, first of all, whereas Ben and Jerry's, Boycotts to Samaria because it's so-called occupied territories. They don't boycott Tibet or Northern Cyprus or Georgia, which are also considered to be occupied countries. Where is their answer for this? How can they choose to go against the Jews and not against the Indians or the Turkish or the Kurds in other countries? Isn't it pure anti-Semitism? Unilever answer was not we are not anti-Semites. But you touch upon a very great point and this is what Trudeau did on this matter as well. The Palestinian Authority violates human rights consistently on a, on a daily basis. They use these children as human shields. They use them as soldiers. They use them to go on the fence. They use them Um, uh, they train them, they give them weapons, they teach them how to kill just in three years old, five years old teenagers, really, really young. Not only that, they violate women's rights. They violate animal rights. They violate LGBT rights. What about all that? Deen came up with reports and we spread it all over the world documenting how the Palestinian Authority uh, violates this rights. But if you really ask for a sincere answer and you bring this up with Ben and Jerry's, you will find the same answer, the same bland surprise um, that they did in the interview. That's a very interesting question. Let me think about it.
1: Nitsana, um, I understand that Shirat Hadin defends against war crime allegations. Can you tell us about that, please? It's, it's been making the news headlines.
2: Yeah, the uh, Palestinian Authority found a new era that uh, they can fight Israel on, which is the International Criminal Court, indicting Israel uh, for war crimes, indicting IDF soldiers for war crimes. Their allegations are uh, mainly two. One is the IDF soldiers are using excessive force against the Palestinians in their different operations. And the other one is the excellents. Which is a breach of international law. Israel cannot build houses in occupied territories. Israel is not a member in the courts. They are not going to participate in this proceeding. Israel will not defend itself before the International Criminal Court for the simple reason that Israel knows it's a mock court, it's a political court. Uh, there is no uh, intention. To really dive into this issue uh, and uh, fairly judge Israel or the Palestinian Authority, we already see it from their decision to go into this conflict, which they lack any jurisdiction. Palestinian Authority is not a state; Israel is not a member. They have zero jurisdiction to go in, and yet they decided to uh, take this investigation and run with it. Um, so, yet. Yeah there is a, a need to represent Israel's cause in the court. And this is where Shurat Adin comes in. We are um, coming on behalf of victims, two kinds of victims. One is the terror victims. We uh, uh, come and allege that the Palestinian Authority is actually inciting to terrorism. Uh, they have the policy of pay to slay with the pay awards for committing acts of Terrorism against innocent people, they pay them money, they pay stipends to the families of the suicide bombers, they are endorsing terrorism, which is a violation of international law, and the other type of victims are those who who was living in Jordan, Samaria, in the Gush Etzion area, in the Old City, prior to 1948, where parted from their houses it fell from their houses when Jordan took over this uh, part of Israel, the territories the West and, and came back after 67 when Israel took over uh, control again these victims, their rights would be violated if the court will rule that their houses actually belong to a Palestinian state or part of the Palestinian state being representing Uh, victims, we have a right to take part in the legal proceedings in the court. And um, we're waiting for the new prosecutor that just uh, went into office a couple of months ago to decide whether he continues with this fruitless uh, uh, investigation, which really has zero basis to
0: now Nitsana, I read that you are going after Facebook and other social media. For allowing their platforms to be used for hate speech, so I remember a few years ago. I don't know if it was you, but it was an organization in Israel who posted an anti-Israel and an anti-Palestinian ca- right. it cartoon. Was it was duplicate. It, it was you.
2: Yeah,
0: brilliant. Yeah, it was, and it was uh, side by side the exact same thing. Only yeah, it
2: was two pages. One yeah. calls to call to kill Palestinians. One call to kill Israelis. Uh, we posted the exact same right. phrases, the exact same images, just with one difference, one against Israelis, and other one against Palestinians. And then we asked Facebook to take down both pages. Facebook immediately took down the pages that called to kill Palestinians. They sent us a fair message saying that this page violates their community standards. Of course. But they left the Israeli page standing, saying that the page does not violate their community standards.
1: Hypocrisy,
2: we
0: mentioned, we mentioned.
1: Okay. Yeah. Nitsana, it's very disturbing how, uh, I think we're frozen here.
0: No, no, you're good. Okay. okay.
1: Um, Nitsana, it's very disturbing how social media platforms uh, seem to be, it almost seems as though they're, they're on the side of terrorists where um, they allow and anti, anti-Israel remarks um, but yet if anything is said with regards to anti-terrorism people get thrown off so my question is um, how do you litigate with social media platforms for not the leading accounts of terrorists and what is it that you can do or are doing to make sure that everything is fair you know If people want to talk, then everybody can talk. Or if one has to be quiet, the other one has to be quiet. Yeah.
2: Um, We file lawsuits against Facebook, against Twitter, and against Google uh, in the federal courts in the United States. The uh, basis for this lawsuit is a law in the United States named Anti-Terrorism Act. This law prohibits any American citizen or American company to provide any sort of services to designated organization. In United States, you are not allowed to provide services or to provide material material support to a designated organization. You will carry criminal and civil liability. And this is what we did. We filed a $1 billion lawsuit against Facebook, against Twitter, against Google the problem is that these social media companies have a defense comes in the frame of uh, form of uh, the communication decency act this is section 230 to the cda and this law says that social media services would be immune from anything that their users are posting on their platform anybody can put anything they want on facebook Tweet on Twitter, put any video in YouTube, and these giants will be immune. So when we come and uh, and bring our cases, usually they're being uh, rejected, dismissed, just based on this uh, uh, Communication Business Act. Recently, uh, uh, I was very excited uh, to uh, get a ruling in the uh, Court of Appeal in a case against Google this is a case on behalf of uh, a young girl that uh, was killed in a Paris attack by, uh, done by ISIS. Right. Uh, we sue Google because Google owns YouTube, and between you and I, uh, ISIS would not be even known, recognized without YouTube. Right. We sue them, and uh, in the course of appeal, we finally had uh, the minority opinion on our side saying that indeed. Uh, Google could not be, or YouTube could not be considered as a bulletin board as they came. They cannot be immune because, as you mentioned, uh, rightly mentioned, they, uh, they pick up what words, what videos to screen and what's not. Correct. They ban Dennis Prager. They ban uh, conservative uh, speech, conservative videos, uh, whereas yeah, they let others uh, to go and even to uh, incite to violence, which is really insane. So uh, this judge said, with all due respect, the law from 1996, um, there's no value anymore. It doesn't make sense. If in 1996, the Congress want to protect the social media giants, today they don't have to do that because the social media giants prove that they can actually monitor this speech. They delete if they want or not delete if they don't want. They have the algorithm to monitor incitement to terrorism. Why should they be immune now? We are 25 years after. And the other judge that did not rule in favor of us did mention that it's time to change the communication business act. So now, finally, we have a way. We have a path. We're going to file a motion for a rehearing. Uh, before larger court, and perhaps for the first time we'll be able to crack this uh, defense.
0: So it's funny because you mentioned about uh, YouTube has a, a software that detects words. I had a video that was taken down because we had a guest who wrote a column questioning the last elections. So Google doesn't, YouTube doesn't allow that anymore. But, no. uh, but okay, but ISIS, like they, they can be up there. Um, Nisana, yeah. one of your recent cases was you represented um, the families of Natal, Naftali Frankel, Gilad Shirin, and Eyal Yifrach, who were murdered by Hamas in 2014. And I read with shock that the Jerusalem judge ordered Hamas to pay each family basically the equivalent of about a million dollars. Now, again, every every state, every country has different. You know limits for how much they award here in America. George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minnesota, and his family was awarded twenty-seven million dollars. Here, three boys were kidnapped and murdered by Hamas terrorists who actually planned to kill these boys, and yet they walk away with less than a million dollars. I hear nightmare stories about Israeli courts and the Supreme Court, which, you know, sometimes shock my senses. Can you give us any information about that case?
2: It was, uh, first of all, it was a terrible story. As we all remember, three young kids um, were kidnapped by two Palestinian, two Hamas uh, terrorists. And um, we shot them right when they entered the car and then hide them in an uh, area near Hebron, and an entire state uh, held this breath for 18 days, looking for the boys until they found the bodies. Because of this kidnap, Israel went into protective edge operation, um, taking a revenge from Hamas and trying to shut down their territory. We filed a lawsuit on their behalf against Hamas and we expect, expected to receive a similar judgment that we received in the United States. Not in terms of money, um, awards, because we understand, you know, United States has, um, a different scale when they give compensations. You mentioned George Floyd. He got $27 million. I don't think in Israel he would have got Perhaps, maybe a million dollars. However, when it comes to terror victim litigation, to terror cases, the United States court grants hundreds of millions of dollars compensations, not because it's typical, just because they want to show their outrage. They want to show how unacceptable it is to come and kill innocent people in act of terrorism. They want to show how disgust they are from this act. So the note only gives compensatory damages, which is very, very high, tens of millions of dollars, they only also grant punitive damages. And thus you have a large amount of money to quit. We tried to teach the Israeli court about what's going on in the United States. And we felt that Israel after so many terror attacks suffering for decades from uh, brutal acts of terrorism would follow the same path, would show Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, Islamic Jihad, that there is a price to kill Jews, that Jewish blood is no cheap. And they disappointed us. Unfortunately the Supreme Court um, came down with the decision, not in our case, in a previous case, giving a different tag of price to people that were killed in terror attacks. And as you mentioned, it comes to less than a million dollars per femme. This is really disappointing. We are going to appeal this uh, judgment, bring it up before the Supreme Court once again to think maybe... Uh, they can change their mind. The only court that can change the Supreme Court's uh, ruling is the Supreme Court itself. And we are going to appeal the district court decision because, in the end, there must be a state, there must be a statement. There must, you must know, the terror organizations must realize that 75 years after the Holocaust, there is a price to Jewish blood. You cannot kill Jews and go without pay. And with all due respect, $1 million doesn't do anything to Hamas or to the Palestinian Authority, which their budget is a $1 billion a year. You want to hurt them, you want to hit them, you want to teach them, you want to tell them not to do it again, give them a significant amount that they
1: will hear. Nitzana, you have been doing so much and are to, continuing to do in your unique, wise way. but. What would you say is your greatest achievement with regard to a case?
2: Um, I think my greatest achievement, I have several, but I really like <clears throat> the one that we won <clears throat> against the Palestinian Authority in the United States. In 2004, we filed a lawsuit on the have of 10 families um, of terror victims. And... Um, the, uh, the uh, case went to discovery. The position wasn't dismissed. And after 11 years, it finally went to trial. 2015 opened in New York. And we were there. We participated in the trial. 50 days. It was the uh, coldest months of my life in yeah. New York. Um, and the, the the common basis for these uh, terror attacks were that they all were perpetrated and done by Palestinian employees. Palestinian uh, people that received salary from the Palestinian Authority. Policemen, security guards, um, other stuff, but they're all under the jurisdiction of the authority of the Palestinian Authority. So the Palestinian Authority came and had a defense. They said, indeed, they were our employees, but they were rogue employees. They did the attacks after work hours. It wasn't our policy to kill Israelis. We didn't encourage them to kill Jews. But when the trial opened, they could not explain the jury. If they were rogue employees, how do you continue paying their salary in the jail until today? Yeah. How do you uh, raise them in rank every three years? How to pay stipends to the families of the suicide bombers? This is not how you treat rogue employees. This is not when your policy is against killing Jews. When the jury went and came back, they found the Palestinian party responsible for all acts of terrorism and gave us a judgment for $655 million. Oh, that was wow. a great achievement.
1: Uh, <laughs> what an achievement. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nitsana, unfortunately, have- unfortunately
2: the story didn't end. Yeah. Uh, The Palestinian Authority filed an appeal. Uh, They they were able to vacate the judgment based on personal jurisdiction. They said with all due respect, the United States has no jurisdiction over us. We don't work in the United States. We don't present in the United States. We don't have business in the United States. And the courts of appeal uh, agreed with them. Uh, The State Department also agreed with them. And uh, when we filed uh, our motion to the Supreme Court, they the uh, judgment was still vacant. However, <coughs> we went to Congress and told them that there is a problem. There is a problem because we litigated this case for 15 years based on a law that they enacted, the Anti-Terrorism Act, that allows American citizens to bring their cases to the United States for a terror attack that happened outside of the United States. It's an extraterritorial jurisdiction law. On the other hand, the Supreme Court found this law to be unconstitutional. So they have to fix the problem. And the way to fix the problem is to reinstate personal jurisdiction. To come and say if the United States wants to receive, continue, and receive aid from the United States. I'm sorry, if the Palestinian Authority wants to continue and receive aid from the Palestinian Authority, they have to agree to their personal jurisdiction. Okay. So now we're back. In the district court, trying to find out whether there is jurisdiction based on this new law. I really hope that in the end of the day, the Palestinian Authority will have to pay $655 million to the terrorist. But I already know that the Palestinian Authority leaders could not understand, could not realize, imagine how the little money they get the terrorists before the attacks. How the support that provided them before the attacks turned in the end of the day to hundreds of millions of dollars in damages against.
1: Thank you, Nitsana. We are out of time. Uh, we so much appreciate what you're doing for world jewelry and for giving us of your precious time today. Thank you to Vinus.com for hosting our show, and we thank our audience for tuning in.
2: Well, thank you, Bella. Thank you, Alan. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your hosts, Bela Siebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.